Welcome listeners to the Treasure Time podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Giblin. In today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Andrew Hampton, who's the author of the amazing book, When Girls Fall Out. Andrew has been a head teacher for 18 years, and over the last six years, he's been bringing his work called Girls on Board, which is about helping girls resolve relationship conflict in schools, to over a thousand schools globally, helping more than 5,000 teachers learn the skills to help girls resolve friendship conflicts between themselves without adult intervention. His award-winning work has been featured in numerous publications, and he supported countless educators in moving from mediators to mentors for girls who are experiencing relationship challenges. In our conversation today, Andrew and I talk about girls' intense need for emotional connection and why that can lead to so many challenging friendship dynamics, starting as early as reception class. And obviously things change as girls get older. And we do focus on girls specifically here because there is a difference between the way that girls and boys socialize, which we cover today in the podcast. In this episode, Andrew offers some really great advice for any parents who are wondering how to respond when their child comes home and tells them, that they've had a difficult friendship day. So you're going to want to tune in and listen to the strategies and the advice that Andrew gives because it's probably not what you've been doing and maybe not what you would even think to do in a situation where your daughter is complaining of friendship challenges. So I hope you enjoy this fresh, different approach to helping your daughter mediate and navigate friendship challenges in school. And if you want details on Andrew's book, please do check the show notes. The link will be in there. The book is called When Girls Fall Out. I devoured it in a couple of sessions. I highlighted it. I made notes and I found it just so easy to apply and really easy to understand as to why girls struggle with so many friendship challenges. It makes sense when you read the book and equipping yourself with the knowledge will just help you to help your daughter navigate these difficult, challenging times that we all go through, especially when we're young. We just forget how big they seem to us as children when we're adults because we have far more important things to think about. Rather than dismissing children's feelings as being silly, we need to learn how to equip ourselves with the skills in order to meet them where they're at emotionally. So I hope you really enjoy this episode and let's dive into this really important chat. So hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Treasure Time podcast. It's my pleasure. Very nice to be here. It's wonderful to have you here. And I just finished um, your book, When Girls Fall Out which I thoroughly enjoyed. I felt it was a really practical and helpful guide and it also helped guide my understanding of why we should suggest, recommend certain things when girls are complaining of friendship problems in school. Um, So I'd love to hear from you as a starting point. What was it that inspired you to write the book, When Girls Fall Out? Yeah, indeed. And um, it was kind of, uh, you know, mother is the, um, in, what is it? No, necessity is the mother of invention is what I'm trying to say. So I was a head teacher for 18 years and stepped away from headship a couple of years ago. Um, at the beginning of my second headship, and we're talking sort of late noughties now, girls were leaving the school that I was running and they were citing uh, friendship problems. And that was like, oh, right, okay. So obviously we were trying really hard, um, myself personally and staff, to um, you know, talk to the other girls and encourage sleepovers and talk about friendship generally and asking people to be kind. You know, all the stuff that you would do and working very closely with parents who were very distressed by their daughter's distress and so on and so forth. But none of it worked. And I think about 12 girls left 
the school over a couple of years in, in what is pretty small school. So it was very dramatic. Every single time one girl left, it was a kind of a drama, but not just a drama, but I kind of felt that I'd failed. So anyway, I kind of thought the first thing I need to do is stop doing what I'm doing because whatever we're doing, even though it seems very logical and the compassionate thing to do, it's just not working. And I, I did some research on the internet and I came across Rosalind Wiseman's book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, which I do recommend. I mean, it's, it's, um, she's very, very good on the kind of the granular level of what exactly to say to your daughter. So I do recommend it. The book was also the inspiration for Mean Girls, which, of course, is having a massive revival at the moment, which is absolutely wonderful. So, you know, yes, I think When Girls Fall Out is a better book. Of course, I would say that. Um, but it's also a lot shorter. I mean, I know that, Sophia, you got through it in a couple of days, didn't you? So, uh, I did. Yeah, you know, whereas, whereas, whereas Queen Bees and Wallabies, I mean, to be honest, I didn't get to the end because, it, you know, and that's no reflection on her, but she does go on a bit. So that's more like sort of 400 pages long, but I do recommend it. So anyway, that kind of really, she started to kind of just give me a totally different vision of, uh, of girls uh, very much speaking as a mother and her own daughters and looking at girls in, in the wider picture and why, the big why, why do they behave like this and what to do about it. And I was very lucky that my own daughter, Holly, was um, at that age. She was like 12, 13, 14 when I was going through this kind of um, intellectual challenge to try and find a better way uh, to support girls through their friendship issues. And I was able to run ideas past her. And I can remember very memorably running a couple of ideas and her just looking at me in total despair, saying, no, Dad, you know, it really isn't about that at all. So back to the drawing board. So she was very, very instrumental in getting this approach in the school, which is called Girls on Board, getting that up and running. And then a few years later, when it was um, commercialised, I decided that it would be a great idea to sort of really get parents on board with this, as I say, school-based approach. So how, what are the implications for the parents of your daughter being at a school which runs this Girls on Board approach? And so I wrote the book. And I wrote it with Holly. Um, and we sat down. Well, I sat down to write it. I then showed her what I'd written. And, and she kind of just tore it apart, basically. She sort of said, yeah, let's look at the first sentence. And I'm not sure that's really what you mean. Um, and we argued. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. We argued about every single sentence. And my, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It took three years to get through um, that process. And my oldest daughter, Naomi, who's a psychiatrist, she um, got on board a lot with some of the kind of as, um, aspects of sort of trauma and validation and, you know, emotional growth of children, which was really, really useful too. So, yeah, I think the three of us were very proud of that book and, uh, yeah, very much sort of recommend it as, and as you say, you know, I think it, it gives the why, doesn't it? You know, you can, we all know there are some lots of different ways of parenting but I think what we're trying to do in the book is like okay so let's look at what you're doing and then look at why that might work and indeed why it might not work from the girl's point of view so that's the subtitle you know it's told from the daughter's point of view absolutely and I think even hearing you say that you argued over every sentence is is actually hilarious but I, I was thinking as you were saying it every sentence feels meaningful and impactful actually in the book honestly that made the experience of reading the book enjoyable but so informative for me because I'm a play therapist by training as we've talked about and my my instinct always is to advise parents to kind of allow children to sort problems out for themselves or you know a bit like fruit on the tree things develop in their own time when given time and space but I actually didn't have any um, theoretical basis for that per se as apart from my therapeutic training so when I I was on a quest to find some more information about what happens in these complex friendship dynamics? Because from an adult perspective, it can seem firstly quite trivial 
when girls fall out. Secondly, quite complicated. And thirdly, you know, as, as adults, we, we tend to want to jump to action and try and do something to make it better. And your book kind of perfectly explains why this is, is this way, why it is confusing, why it is complicated. So the first thing that I noticed was that, that actually girls' friendships are, are very, very complex. They are. They are very, very complex. And the stories that they generate are very, very complicated. But, but it's like one of those classic things in life, you know, they're both very complicated and also very simple because, and you, you use the word trivial, which I think is a really useful word to kind of examine from a parent's point of view. Because often, you know, well, will a girl tell you as a parent that this trivial thing happened? Well, sometimes they do. And sometimes you look at your daughter and kind of go, really, you know, just because um, you were standing in a queue and she was facing you and then suddenly she turned around to talking to the person in front of her, you're saying that you're really upset by that and you think she's being really horrible and rude. And, you know, from your point of view, that is trivial. You know, come really, you've got to be more thick-skinned than that, a bit more robust. And, you know, how do you know that the girl in front of you um, did that deliberately to cut you out? And then the girl's getting really frustrated at that point. But she did, she did, and you don't understand. So that, that, I think, is a really important point to start with, actually, like that, that trivial thing, so because what we need to listen to there is the subtext of that narrative. The subtext is my search and quest for trusting and reliable friendships is going badly. I feel it's going badly. I mean, it might not be going badly. The girl in front of her might be absolutely kind of devastated to hear that when she turned around, she offended her friend, didn't mean to at all. So what we need to always do is listen to the story, whatever the story is, whether it's trivial, as you say, or maybe it's incredibly complicated. And we just say, right, okay, the story is not really the issue here. The issue is you feel bad about your friendships at the moment. And therefore, it's my job as your parent to, to validate that feeling. And it's very difficult sometimes to validate that feeling when, when the story is so trivial. But actually, that's what she's telling you. Her reality, that, that, that emotional reality, is that she's feeling horrible and really um, alone and uh, very uh, lost, I think is a good word, you know. And it's your job to kind of say, look, this absolutely, I can, you know, it doesn't really matter what happened. You're, what you're feeling is very real. And we, therefore, I need to validate it and say, yes, it's real, but I'm not going to fix it. I'm going to support you to fix it for yourself. And so that's kind of the next stage, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. So the first bit of information that I took and I was like, wow, that's so insightful is this idea that girls operate by explicit and implicit rules. Yes. And the explicit rules are the ones that we as adults know about and can attribute justice for. Exactly. Like you can't be mean to each other. You can't say horrible things to each other, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But the implicit ones are the ones where the friendship challenges happen. And that's where we as adults can get completely lost because we don't understand the implicit rules. And indeed, the implicit rules change a great deal. And they're very, very difficult to to, uh, to describe. So if you're a, a girl and you're saying, yeah, yeah, but, you know, if I... Um, if I have a if I have a sleepover and you're saying that actually this has got to happen after you know we've eaten in the evening, then that's like oh no I can't possibly do that because that's not what happened in you know in in George's party last week you know, and the parents are going ah oh, come on mate you know really and the girls are like you don't understand you don't understand exactly so the implicit rules are just shifting it's a shifting ground but they are that's where the turbulence happens as you say in in that area um, between the implicit and the explicit rules mm. and so. There was another piece that comes from this 
implicit rules um actually it could come from an explicit as well but the the idea that girls will tell you a version of the story based on their emotional state can you explain a bit more yes exactly well that's right i mean you know and i think we have to grasp a nettle here and i think that this is this is a tough thing to say and it's a tough thing to say to parents and before i even say it i do want to acknowledge that i'm a man you know and that some women and mothers you know get quite frustrated by my work because I'm a man and I'm a lot older um, and I want to say yes I, I hear that frustration and I, I never try to um, you know tell people what it is happening I just reflect what the girls have said to me you know because I am a man I was never a girl and I think that you know I just want to sort of apologize if you like for that but I think one of the tough things to have to say is that that version of the story as you say that comes home isn't the whole truth and girls do lie and of course boys lie as well and I think what's really useful at this point is to understand why that's happening because it can sound so incredibly judgmental to say you know your child is lying to you and you can think well that's horrible you know it's a horrible thing to say it's a horrible accusation to make but the reality is that they do and I think there are three reasons why they do first of all it's because we lie to them, you know, and that's a really tough thing to reflect on as an adult. But we do lie to children and we lie to each other. I mean, we lie to each other for white lie reasons. I mean, we know that, you know, we sort of don't want to offend people. So if they ask us a very direct question, we will sort of dress it up so that we don't offend them. Um, but when it's children, um, we lie to them about Father Christmas and we lie about uh, the Tooth Fairy, but also we lie about um, some of the kind of praise that we give them. So they might have drawn you a picture and you kind of say, oh my goodness, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Gosh, you're such a, a genius or whatever. And it's a lie and she knows it's a lie and it's fine. It's absolutely fine. But it doesn't mean to say that she doesn't know that you're lying to her at that point or exaggerating or however you want to dress it up. And so um, she will then kind of do the same back to you. And they all do. And I think one little sort of anecdote that it's worth sharing is that when I'm doing um, Girls on Board in, in a school, so I train teachers to, to use the approach, we do a role play with the girls and we role play them falling out. And in the role play, they often sort of just make up stuff and they make up lies and they say, oh, yeah, but your mum said this and there were no tickets at the cinema. That's why we didn't ask you. And you stop the role play and say, OK, so when you said that about the tickets, that was a lie, wasn't it? And you say and the girls will say, well, well yeah, you know, it was. And I say and the facilitator will say, uh, listen, I'm not here to judge you, not here to tell you how to live your lives at all. But would it be fair to say that you all lie really quite a lot to each other, to your parents and to your teachers? Now, you know, I wonder whether somebody listening to this podcast might kind of think, well, you know, that's quite a quite an aggressive thing to say to a group of girls. And they're very likely to kind of get offended by that and to defend themselves and say, no, you know, that's not true at all. We don't tell lies and we particularly don't tell lies to our parents or whatever. But actually, the girls don't react like that. Every single time I've done this, and it's been hundreds of times I've done it, the girls always go, yes, what's your point? We do lie. And, you know, sorry, is that a problem for you? You know, and it's an incredibly important moment. So the other reasons they lie, first of all, uh, secondly, uh, you know, so we lie to them. The second reason, I think, is they just want to get told off. I mean, it's so it's so simple in a way, isn't it? So if you're a girl and you've you know, and this other girl called you a bad name in the on the playground and you go home and you're upset and you call when you were in the playground, you called her a bad name. And perhaps that was the first time you've used that word. You know, it's like you were really angry. So you kind of like you moved into that area where you used a really strong word and it feels kind of a bit weird and quite grown up in a way that you use that word. 
So you go home and you're upset and your your parent says, you know, you're upset. Why are you upset? Well, this other girl called me this name. And your parent is obviously going to say, well, did you react? Did you retaliate? What did you call her? And you're not going to say what you said, you know, because if you do, she's just going to send you to your room or she's going to be cross with you. Not every parent is going to react like that, obviously. And, and indeed, I also say everything I'm saying today isn't necessarily true for everybody. You know, it's really important to say that. So if people kind of say, yeah, but it's not true of my fine. Of course not. I absolutely understand that. Um, so and the third reason, as you've said, the story is often very, very complicated. So if you're trying to get across what happened um, there might be a whole series of events where you told a joke and they didn't laugh, but then they were looking at each other and then somebody else then you, somebody else told you that this friend had then told the same joke to somebody else. You know, you think, off you go. You know, it's like, wow. The kind of the train of events is clear in her mind, but as you're trying to follow it, it's like, I, I have no idea what you're saying. So again, we need to get back to that idea of, um, you know, listening to the emotional subtext, which is, for me, always about friendship. Mm. And in the book, you talk about this one core fear or one core truth about what girls fear. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we can we can express it in both positive and negative ways. We, if we express it positively, I, I think it's true. And I think that the vast, vast majority of girls I've ever spoken to agree with this. That is, every girl of school age across the world must have at least one other girl in her school, in her year group to call a friend. Now, you know, that's... Sometimes people sort of say, well, that's a very obvious thing to say. And I, and I agree that it is a very obvious thing to say. But I think what's not so obvious is that actually from the girl's point of view, that is the most important thing, you know, that as grown-ups, we worry about food and shelter and safety and health. The girls on the whole take those things for granted if they, if they can. And so friendship then becomes the most important thing. So if we then, as I say, look at it from a negative point of view, what they fear, they fear isolation. And I think that goes back to primeval times of pubescent girls feeling uh, vulnerable in the presence of men uh, and, and needing to, to, to clump together into groups that need sort of safety in numbers. Now, that's a bit of a theory. Um, you can reject that if you want. But, I, you know, it, it seems to hold water to me. Mm. Oh, absolutely. We've talked before about secondary schools kind of being a uh, a world of their own and these challenges that when they occur in secondary school can be more complicated, more difficult to resolve, more challenging. But actually, friendship challenges start way earlier than secondary school. How early do you think they actually start? Yeah, I mean, I think... It, it's it's an innate part of the, the sort of the human experience for, for girls that 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 bonding needs to happen. And it happens very, very early. I think probably it is distorted by the fact that there is a moment where you go to school, you know. So if you're in nursery, then often the nursery and kindergartens are very, very heavily staffed. So, yes, there are lots of um, affiliations going on between individual uh, girls and boys, but every single one of those um, kind of social events is, is being monitored by an adult. And if it remotely starts to get hot or people start excluding, the adults will jump in gently and, and steer people away. But they don't do that in reception. So I think reception is the moment, uh, which is a bit of a cliff edge moment, to be honest, where um, there are just usually two adults in the room, uh, maybe 30 children, and the parents are not there. And they get a vague report on what's happened during the day. And so I think that's when 
girls start to to create their groups and i think in those early years boys are absolutely part of that as well you know there's much much more mixing uh, of of the sexes at that age than there are increasingly towards the uh, towards secondary they start to separate and, and in most of secondary girls and boys sit on opposite sides of the classroom all the time but as you say, it gets more complicated in, in secondary and, and so much so that actually if the conflict is really bad by the time they get to year 10, then it gets really horrible. And that's when often you have to get the police involved and people have been really mean and fights break out and so on. So it is a, a steady growth towards some really horrible stuff unless they sort it out, which most of them do. Mm-hmm. And actually that if um, if we don't have the skills to equip girls early on, yeah. those kind of later friendship challenges can have lifelong impacts on how girls relate. Yeah, very much so, and how they feel excluded by their experience at school and uh, they sort of carry those wounds on into adulthood, totally, yeah. Mm. So we'll talk a bit about um, what parents can do in a, in a minute, but I, yes. I really want to address that there is a difference between girls and boys in friendships because... I, we like to think that, you know, we treat all children equally, but there's an element of social conditioning that probably just occurs quite naturally. So should we talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Yes. And, and it's the whole kind of nurture nature debate, which is very interesting. And certainly the conditioning argument is is there and it's almost unavoidable. Wonderful program on the BBC a few years ago called No More Girls and Boys, which I suspect is probably available on YouTube, where a GP um, went to the Isle of Wight and he looked at year three uh, where there was a school with two year three classes. So he worked with one of those year three classes and had the other one as a control group, as it were. But what he found, what, one of the most interesting things was the conditioning that was going on every moment of the day, and initially from the teacher. So that it was a male teacher and he was, you know, addressing the girls as my lovely and uh, and the boys as lad or something like that. And so, you know, at the end of that first sort of session, the doctor kind of goes to him and says, you know, do you want to have a think about that? And he kind of, he was, the teacher was going, you know what, absolutely. You know, why am I doing that? Why do I, I just treat the girls in this very kind of like, oh, you're soft and and I'm going to be really gentle with you. Whereas with the boys, it's like you and me, we're both men. So, you know, and he, and he stopped doing it and it made a very, very dramatic effect. So I very much recommend that. So yeah, boys and girls equal in terms of their rights and opportunities completely. But I do think if we go back to what we were just saying about what's what are what are the, kind of the darker elements of human existence with girls fearing isolation, I think is very very real. But it's not the same for boys. They do fear isolation, of course, but I think that's not driving their behaviours. I think what's driving behaviours in a negative way is the fear of humiliation, and I think that's the big difference. And Sometimes I think people, when they hear me say that, they kind of need to take a beat to kind of think about it and sort of say, well, is that true? Um, you know, I asked AI whether that was true. And AI completely disagreed, which is very interesting. I said, no, no, that's not true at all. Um, so there you go. Um, but I think, yes, and I was, I'm very grateful to a nine-year-old boy that I, I was um, visiting a school and this boy said to me, yeah, yeah, I think it's true that we do fear humiliation, that I, I think you've put your finger on it, but we don't like talking about it because it's humiliating to talk about humiliation. And so therefore, I think the way that we support girls and boys in their friendships and their relational cultures, which is another useful expression, I think, is, is very different because one, it's about raising the empathy amongst girls that, hey, we all fear isolation, so let's just not do that to each other because today it was you, tomorrow, tomorrow it might be me. Ah, you know, let's just get together and, and be 
be empathetic. Whereas with boys, it's much more complicated because the banter is all about humiliation. And so you need, I think, as, as teachers uh, and as parents to desensitize them to humiliation and get them to understand that an aggressive response to being humiliated is not appropriate. Mm, that's so interesting. And I'd love to have you back on to the podcast to talk about boys, because I know you have another book, which is called Working With Boys. So maybe we, we can have a, another conversation about that because I'm sure parents listen would be interested. So let's talk about some of the things then that parents do when their daughters have fallen out with friends at school that yeah. are well-meaning but potentially unhelpful. Yes. So I think that, the, you know, it's so natural for a parent when your daughter is distressed and she's telling you this story to feel like what your job is and what you want to do in a very, very... Um, sort of deep feeling way is to try and fix it you know okay I hear what you're saying so what you need to do is you need to say go back into school and say this to this person that to that person so it might be that it might be that you really um, want to rehearse the strategies with her or you may take a more global um, approach to that and say my dear you know I just think you need to be yourself you know um, back yourself uh, you're an amazing young girl you've got so many um, skills and attributes and I just want you to stop being so kind of, um, you know, buffeted by the winds of other people's opinions and just, you know, stand up. And I don't think either of those things work in in the first instance, although I think the second um, strategy has got uh, legs. But I want to just describe, I think, what you should do in, as you say, in the face of that moment when she's distressed and talking to you tearfully. um, Sometimes girls, unfortunately, take... The, the opportunity when they're just going to sleep and you're kind of sitting on their bed and you know we've read the story and it's time to drop off now and then she says ah oh, mom dad can I just tell you about what happened at school and then off they go and of course they wind themselves up and that's that's quite difficult and I think you have to if that's happening to you as a parent I think you need to sort of say can we bring this back into the late afternoon early evening to talk about this stuff because now that you've got all upset you're not going to be able to go to sleep but when she's telling you about that stuff and it's, the story may be very complicated and distressing and she's very distressed i think yeah we're not listening to the narrative we're listening to the emotional subtext and your job really is just to make listening noises is to say yes gosh i'm sorry this is happening to you oh dear tell me more that doesn't sound right etc etc so you're not challenging the story um, but neither are you offering um, solutions and what you are doing is validating the emotion and that is a judgment of course isn't it you've got to say to yourself should I be validating this? Because it's very trivial. But actually, if you think about the emotional subtext, it isn't trivial. It's very serious to her. So it's about validating the valid. And I guess that's what I'm saying, you know, that that, that pain is very, very real for her. And you let her talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, and avoid saying things like, you know, I think you should make other friends or have you tried talking to her or you need to get off your phone or any of those things. Just kind of say nothing and if actually she turns to you in the middle of that where you've been very neutral and just kind of listening and nodding and making sort of you know sympathetic noises and she says well aren't you going to say anything at all don't don't get drawn into that because it's a trap she doesn't really mean it she's just trying to engage you a bit more so you just say look I'm you know there's plenty I could say but I think you just need to say it out now you know let's get it off your chest tell me everything that happened and she may well just go and repeat and repeat and repeat the whole thing and it may take quite a long time for her to get it all off but off her chest but then I think at the end of that that's when the parenting comes in that's when you say right I think we've cried out now let's make a cake let's go for a walk let's uh you know uh, play with the dog whatever it is um 
I'm now going to make you feel really good about yourself. I'm not going to tell you to go back to school and be yourself because I don't think that's very real. But I am going to make you feel like you want to do that by showing the white heat of my love for you and how amazing I think you are. And, you know, that's the connection that she's looking for. That's what that whole story was about, really. It was like, I'm worried about my friendships. You're my anchor, my parent, and I want you to demonstrate that stability uh, through the love that you have for me. I think that's such a lovely way to deal with it. And actually, if it may feel a bit passive if you're not used to kind of taking that role of just allowing your child the space to get it off their chest. Yes, and to, and to, to, and to feel the pain. Mm, absolutely, and sit, and sit with it and be in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because it is painful. And we all have to go through that. We all have to have our heart broken and feel betrayed and feel left out. And, you know, it's very much part of life. And it can go on and on day after day after day. But that's that's your job. That is your role, not to try and fix it. And I think people who have um, very successful working lives often kind of feel that they solve problems all day. And this is just another one. So I'm going to solve this for you. you know. And it's so, so inappropriate. It really is. And perhaps men are slightly more guilty of that than women. Right. OK, I've heard all the things. What you need to do this, this person needs. Right, OK, right. I'm moving on now. You know, and it's, it's slightly male way of kind of categorizing things. Um, I'm allowed to say that because I'm a male. And, uh, you know, but it's so it's so wrong. But, you know, my experience as a head teacher, often I would be uh, talking in, uh, in communication with parents who who wanted to take a kind of workplace professional view of the problems that they were that they were seeing and I'm going but it's not like that you know this is a this is a child you know it's not a logistical problem and mm. Holly um who is now 28 and um, we joke a bit about um her saying of my wife her mother Jenny you know oh you're using the voice you know so if, if Holly is complaining about something and Jenny might say well I think we need to look at this as a learning experience and Holly says ah oh, you know you're just doing that thing where you kind of objectify the whole issue and you start to lecture me basically and I want to set the bar very very low I think even for your younger children um, if you've said it before and you're saying it again, it comes across as as lecturing. It comes across as as kind of white noise. So we tend to find ourselves saying, you know, well, you just really need to be kind to her, or you need to listen to, need to talk to, you know. And you think, ah, you've said that before, and it doesn't work. It's not the point. And I think that you just lose credibility with your child when you are caught out for lecturing in that way. The thing that comes to mind for me is you're missing the bid for connection. That's yeah. what it is. That's yeah. what the story is. It's yeah. a yeah. Please connect with me on the emotional level where I am right now. Yeah. Nobody wants advice or lecturing in that space. No, really don't. They really don't. Yeah. But and, and at what point should parents involve either the school or other parents? Okay. Yeah. Very good point. I think um, I don't think there's any harm in talking to the school whenever you want to, you know, and I think vast majority of schools would welcome that. But the important thing, I think, is to approach the school um, with, uh, a, a, you know, with, with, with courtesy, you know, and being constructive about what you're saying, even if actually the story you think even does add up to bullying. Because obviously, if it's bullying, then kind of, you know, all bets are off. We just need to go in there and sort it out. And it may well be that you do think it's bullying and it turns out not to be. And it's really important to work with the school. And in, if you're going to work with the school, I mean, let's go back to the kind of the workplace analogy. If you're working with the school, you shouldn't be 
being aggressive to the school. You shouldn't be shouting at the teacher. You shouldn't be accusing the teacher of, of neglect. And I just really want to say so much to the parents who are listening to this that um, I hear so often parents accuse the school of doing nothing, of not really caring. And then it's just not true. I, I speak to so many schools and hundreds of teachers every year. And it's true that if a parent rings in and says, you know, my daughter's unhappy um, and it's all going wrong in the playground or in the corridors or whatever it is, you know, every single teacher who hears that will kind of go, oh, gosh, right, mm-mm, we need to do something about this. And everyone will, you know, heads up, we're looking, got eyes on that girl, what's happening, make a note, tell the deputy head. You know, people care, they do care. It's never true that a teacher is like, oh, yeah, well, they're just making a fuss, I'm just going to ignore it. It's just not what teachers do. It's not who they are. They're, they're compassionate human beings. So I want to really kind of emphasize that. So tell the school. Now, sometimes I hear teachers say how frustrated they get when a parent rings up and says, I don't want you necessarily to do anything about this. And I don't want you to tell my daughter that I've rung in. And the teachers kind of go, but that's so frustrating. And I'm actually saying to teachers, I don't know why you find that frustrating, because it's just information, you know, um, it, it, it's part of an information gathering system uh, uh, situation. So it might be that that is the first time you've heard that situation being described about that particular girl. Or it might be actually that other people have said that and you've observed it yourself. And now that the parent is saying it, you think, right, we're crossing a threshold here. We need to start doing something about this in terms of having an empathy raising session or whatever we're going to do. So I often encourage teachers to say, no, welcome that um, speech if that's what they want to say. Now, calling the other parents in the role play in a girls and board session in school, we do role play falling out and we do role play the girls going home to tell their parent what happened at school when they felt left out, you know. And that's really, really interesting because then the girl role playing the parent will say things like, I'm going to call the school or I want to call the other parents. And usually the girl who's playing the victim, as it were, says, ah, please, please, please do not phone the other parents. Because when parents phone each other, they quite often fall out. So if you're, you know, the, the mother of the of the victim and you're phoning the, 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 the accused girl, you can say, hi, you know, um, uh, Ethel's mum, you know, just, just want to say that my daughter's feeling a little bit left out and Ethel didn't ask her out on a Saturday. And Ethel's mum's going, well, they're not married, are they? I mean, I don't, what's your point, you know? And, and she gets really quite distressed by that. And the two women will fall out and then they will go back to their girls and say, well, I want you to have nothing to do with that girl. Just avoid her altogether. And that's not how it works. In my school, we had two girls in year seven who were friends in secret because their parents had told them not to be friends, but they were friends, you know. Mm. But also Ethel's mum will put the, the phone down and then go to Ethel and say, I've had a horrible phone call from your friend's mum saying you're leaving her out and she'll give Ethel a hard time. And then Ethel will have got into trouble with her mum because of the other girl. And that will really destroy their f- friendship, you know, because being in, in trouble with your parent is very, very painful. Absolutely. And I, actually, as you're speaking, I'm remembering two occasions where I had parents of friends ring my mom. And um, I would never tell my mom anything because I I would always get told off. And to have uh, to have these parents call my mom and tell them this, a thing that I did without hearing my she never heard my side of the story because I would never tell her. I was always on the receiving end of punishment. And actually, one time it happened in secondary school, and I never resolved the friendship with that girl because I felt so betrayed by her for telling her mum and her mum calling my mum. Yeah. Although, actually, of course, it wasn't necessarily your friend's fault. That's true. She had the right to tell her mum all about how evil you are. (laughs) Yes. And didn't expect her mum 
to phone you, your mum. Exactly. You know? And it may well be that her mum phoned your mum without permission. And, you know, if your friend had known she was going to do that, she wouldn't have said anything. Um, although very occasionally girls will role play saying, yeah, go on, phone her mum. You know, it all becomes a bit of a battle. But usually, you know, that's, and that's the thing with with your friend. Her parents just really overreacting to that, wasn't she? Yeah. And trying to fix it by phoning your your mum to see if she can put pressure on you. And that's just like, well, that's just a disaster, as you said. I mean, it's a very, very good example. You never resolved that friendship for the following few years when actually if that mother hadn't done that, you might well have been friends again. And I think it's an interesting, um, it's even a scenario to think about for me, of course, because I was in it, but yes. that I that girl told her mum her mum overreacted. The reason I didn't tell my mum is because she would have overreacted in a different way. Yes. It would have been an overreaction to me rather than an overreaction to the so, other girl. Yes. So the stories, you can see how two sides of the same story, but don't get told in yeah. the same way to the parents at all. Exactly. Very good example. Very good example. And actually in the Girls on Board session, we do talk about that. We talk about the fact that um, possibly we could categorise parents into three of overreactors, underreactors, and people who get it about right, which I, by which I mean they listen and they listen and they listen and then they help you, you know, distract you and, and help to build you up. And there's an amazing moment where you ask the girls to put their hand up if they've got an overreacting parent. And these hands go up. And when I was actually the head teacher of the girls in front of me, as opposed to, you know, a stranger doing training for the teachers, there'd be that moment when I would look at her and she would look at me and she's got her hand up saying, yes, I've got an overreacting mother. And her eye, I would be saying, you know, gosh, we, we both know your mum, don't we? And she'd say, yeah, I know she's difficult, but try living with her was kind of what her eyes were saying, you know, like mm. I'm frustrated, but she's just in pain because she cannot go home and share her day because her mum would just always fly off the handle. And it's not just mums. I mean, we're talking about dads very much as well, actually, that, you know, it may well be that the mum is just like very gentle, but dad comes home and feels like, oh, and off he goes and gets really angry, you know, and the poor girl realises, possibly as you did, you know, that the only answer to this is just not to say anything. Mm. And so that actually brings us to another thing that I discovered, again, through the girls, just through listening to the girls, is that actually the, the, the number one answer of who do they talk to when they go home, when they want to talk about stuff that's happened at school in terms of friendships, is the dog. You know, they talk to the pet because the pet doesn't judge them. The pet just sits there and looks at them blankly, wondering when they're going to get fed or taken for a walk, you know. So, so they can just, or, or the cuddly toy or the sofa or whatever. And so the girls, you know, very, very commonly will, you know, virtually every girl in the room will kind of say, yes, I would choose anything above my parent. And so I reckon if I've got a class of 25, there's usually one girl who will say, I still talk to my parents. Now, we're probably talking maybe year seven, year eight, year nine, but actually even working with year threes, it's amazing how insightful the girls are about their own parents. I remember working with one group of year threes and I said, um, so do your parents tell you who you can play with? And this girl said, yeah, yeah, but I just ignore it, you know. And she's only seven. So they have already got that sort of sense of who they are and who their parent is and how that relation works and how they are a party to that relationship. And so they don't have to necessarily do absolutely everything that their parent tells them. And they don't need to tell everything their parent either. Mm. Mm. And I, I think this work is so important because if you can help parents to develop those listening skills and empathy skills even just to support their children yeah. when they're young, 
that has such an impact on the way that they have relationships yes. as adults. You yes. know, if we've been constantly shut down or scared to share all these vulnerable parts of ourselves, yeah. it'll be very hard for us to have relationships with people, romantic relationships or friendships where we can trust others. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's it's a skill that we nearly all of us learn in our loving relationships when our partner comes home and starts to sort of rant about what happens at work. If you if you say, well, what you should have done is, you know, the partner usually reacts extremely badly to that. So it's something that we learn very quickly. And actually, the same rule completely applies to your child as well. They just need the chance to get it off their chest. My niece said something to me, which I think was very, very useful as a, as a single standalone sentence. She said, I wish my mother had known when I came home from school that I'm telling her about my day, not because she needs to know, but because I need to tell her. And that's just so simple, isn't it? I mean, it's it, in a nutshell. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And again, not me. It was a woman who told me that. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a bit about girls. What happens in a girls yeah. on board session in school? So this is training for school. So girls on board, um, in a nutshell, is an empathy raising session where we um, would introduce girls on board for the first time using what I call session one, where effectively what we're saying is every girl needs a friend. So let's just really explore that through some scenarios and discussion po points and some uh, role play where the facilitator is trained to be very non-judgmental, just simply holding up a mirror to what life is like so that by the end of that session, the girls have all acknowledged to themselves and to each other that friendship is the most important thing, that not having trust level friendships is incredibly and pain painful thing and that the school also acknowledges that and the school also acknowledges that when the grown-ups get involved in that area of their lives it usually makes it worse because the grown-ups are always looking to blame somebody and to deliver justice because maybe there's been angry parent on the phone or just because the school feels that the behavior policy has been broken or whatever it is and the girls are going you know what we just need the time and the space to sort it out for ourselves and the empathy is what you've evoked through that session then um, slightly counterintuitively you then leave it you don't keep repeating that lesson or repeating that message because they don't need it again it's condescending like yeah yeah we did that thing okay leave us alone you know because the whole point about it is you're saying your friendships are your friendships but obviously inevitably sometimes it still goes wrong so girls on board as an approach could never stop girls falling out but what it does do is it gradually skills them and empowers them to resolve their friendship problems for themselves. But even then, sometimes it, it gets too difficult, too hot, and the, and the conflict is, is very real. At which point the school is going to find out because a parent rang in or because the girls are saying, oh, we can't get on. Please, 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 can you help us? So instead, again, put away the justice tools, just do another girls on board session. So in any one academic year, a year group may experience one, two, three, four, possibly even five of those sessions if it's a very conflictual group. But I kind of say that's enough. And I'm saying to teachers, if you get to the point where it's, it doesn't seem to be working after you've done four, they ring me up. And that happens very rarely. I mean, maybe once every other year, somebody rings me up and says, right, can you help us? So it's clearly working very, very well. And the, the more that you repeat that session, because it's largely the same kind of exercises within that empathy raising session, the more the girls kind of go, yeah, yeah, we're a girls on board school. So therefore, 
ah, if we fall out, you know, we've got a choice. We either resolve it ourselves or we ask the school to help us and they're going to do another girls on board session. So, so, yeah, so it's like the, it becomes a kind of a disincentive, you know. So I can remember a couple of girls in year eight coming up to me in the lunch queue and sort of saying, oh, Mr. Hampton, it's all kicking off in year eight. Such drama. And I said, oh, dear, that sounds terrible. You know, do we need to do a girls on board session? And they said, no, thank you very much, <laughs> Mr. Hampton. We're OK. Leave it to us, you know. And that not that just what you want? You want them to tell you that it's, um, you know, th- things are going badly, but they're going to sort it out. Leave it to us, you know. And that's I so funny. That, so that's what a girls on board school is yeah that's wonderful I love that and that um we trust you yes to work this out we know you're mature enough and if you're not this is what we're going to do this is the protocol it's so clear yeah yeah and we trust you even in year three actually because they they are so insightful about each other and so insightful about the dynamics they they really do know what's going on and i think that when we teach friendship and teach that um kind kindness stuff we are so often speaking so below their level of of intellectual and emotional maturity you know of course they know that but you don't know that girl she she would never you know and yeah okay you're only seven pipe down but she's saying no but i understand the dynamics of my friendships okay and and one one expression i like to use is is to say to the grown-ups look the world experts on the dynamics in year three are the girls in year three, okay? I mean, really, you know nothing compared to what they know. So just go into that session with some humility. It is their world, isn't it? They are in it all the time. It's absolutely every living, waking moment they're in yeah, it, exactly. We're far removed. Yeah, very far. Adults. <laughs> yes, the older we get, yes. <laughs> For any parent who's listening, who wants to learn a bit more, equip themselves a bit better, what would you recommend? Do you have some resources? Yeah, I mean, the book is is, is the book, and I very much recommend that as a starting point. Um, they can have a look at girlsonboard.co.uk. There is a parent page there, and um, they can uh, have a think about maybe approaching the school to see whether the school would be interested in, in Girls on Board. I think particularly if you're listening to this and you're thinking, um, that sounds great. And my daughter really has had some very t- troubled times and it's gone on for quite a long time. I think you've got a very good argument to take that to a senior teacher and say, look, you know, I can't guarantee that this is going to work, but I really, really think you should look at this seriously and see whether this would be the answer for this cohort of girls in your school. Absolutely. And when we, we've spoken before, you said to me that there was a parent who was looking up what where the girls on board schools were that's right so she rang me up and said can you tell me a list of the girls on board schools in my area because i won't send my child to any school that doesn't do what you do and i think that was a such an endorsement it really was yeah 100 percent. and i yeah. i definitely would have liked to go to a girls on board school <laughs> if i had the chance if you'd had the chance yeah definitely yeah. excellent well, thank you so much for sharing such wonderful insights with us today andrew really appreciate it And we look forward to having you back to talk about boys on another episode. My great pleasure. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. lovely. Thanks very much. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast. I hope you really enjoyed the conversation and found it enlightening and inspiring too. If you're a parent looking to create stronger connections and nurture your child's well-being, I've got something special for you. I want to introduce you to Treasure Time, an innovative digital play course designed to teach emotional development through child-led play. My favourite thing. Imagine strengthening your relationship with your child, reducing stress and fostering a happy, healthy family dynamic all through the magic of play. 
Treasure Time offers bite-sized, fun instructional videos, engaging playdates, and evidence-based techniques to improve communication with your child. By taking part in Treasure Time, you'll get six playdates to build that strong relationship with your child. You'll not only become a black belt play ninja, but you'll also gain valuable skills to enhance your child's emotional literacy and your own confidence in setting boundaries, being playful, and finding new ways to communicate with your child. Having a strong relationship with your child has so many positive effects, including reducing power struggles, fewer challenges in getting your child to listen to you or to cooperate with what you want, fewer emotional outbursts, and when they do happen, you have more skills to help regulate yourself and your child. And the best benefit of all is a stronger, deeper connection with your child that will last throughout their lifetime. It's a transformative journey that lots of parents have already experienced. So if you're ready to embark on this exciting adventure with Treasure Time, just head over to the website today, treasuretime.co.uk. Use the code podcast for an extra 10% off the price and you'll get access to the full course today. It's a small investment for a lifetime of benefits. It's your guide to raising an emotionally intelligent child and it's just one click away. Remember, this is not just about play, it's about creating lasting connections and helping your child to grow up happy. Visit treasuretime.co.uk and start your playful journey today. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep playing, keep connecting and keep making those precious moments count. If you enjoyed this episode of the Treasure Time podcast, please head over to Apple and leave us a five-star review and a comment so that we can reach more parents who are interested in learning about the power of play. See you next time.